Two things. One, leather pants, not really that period. Number two, just swamp. It's just ball sweat swampland. <laughs> Nobody's using talc or baby powder in there. They're just, they're in salt water. They're just <laughs> running around. <laughs> Sweating on the inside, slapping around the like seals. Intro music, intro music, intro music. This is a podcast of two friends who watch way too much TV. We learn from shows and at the same time, we make fun of them. We're not experts in really anything, but we pretend to be. After all, we do watch a lot of TV. Today's show contains discussions about mm, some real people. Some fictional people and Muppets. Some Muppety people. Mostly Muppets, but also some people that are referred to from based on a true story, maybe? Question mark? Anyway, we don't mean to disrespect them or to belittle anything that anyone has been through. But uh, historical experts, you'll understand. So, spoiler warnings, we're going to be talking about Black Sails today. So if you haven't seen Black Sails from Stars and you want to, and you'll be upset if we tell you how it ends, probably don't listen. Otherwise, listen to what we think about it. Oh, and Muppet Treasure Island, which is a movie that's been out for a long time. So if you haven't seen it yet, I'm so sorry. Please go watch it on Disney Plus and enjoy these spoilers. Hello, and welcome to I Watch a Lot of the Show that imparts our vast knowledge onto you because after all, we watch a lot of TV. That's Chelsea Hackman. That's Lisa Stats. So I have to know, what are you watching a lot of? So I'm still ramping through my SVU rewatch. I love it. Yeah. I mean, you can't go wrong. I mean, like season five or something, it's it's cooked down. But Mariska has short hair and we love Mariska with short hair. So that's lovely. That's mostly what I'm doing as far as rewatching uh, or as far as like what I'm watching a lot of because I haven't been feeling like tip top as of late. So laying around re-watching something I've seen before is pretty key so I'm about it I'm pretty keen on it so I was I was just sitting around um re-watching that and then I on a whim today went back and watched the Halloween episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer where they where they turn into what they dressed up as because we talked about it so oh I love that episode yeah I went and watched just that episode with Ethan Rain and like Giles who we find out is nicknamed Ripper, like just slams that guy in the face and it's really great. And Xander's a soldier and Buffy's like, I want to be a lady. And she just turns into a brainless nothing. Like we learn what Joss Whedon thinks of ladies pretty quickly, which is a little cringy. It really enforces that paradigm where women who are more interested in things like how they look and women who are forced to be ornamental are suddenly also like brainless and and useless, which is simplistic and also a little offensive, but that's okay. It made for an entertaining episode. Um, And Hot Willow as a ghost, which is also really fun. What are you watching a lot of? Okay, so I sort of fell into this by accident. It's on Netflix. It's called Penguin Town. Yes! It's narrated by Pat Noswell. What it does is it follows the breeding season of the Simonstown South African penguins. Yes, they're like the penguins we have at the zoo. Mm-hmm. They're so, so cute. They are the so, so cute. And they're, they get into crazy situations. And I was so emotionally invested, almost right from the beginning. It was so cute. I was not prepared for life to happen to the penguins. Like, bad things happen. Like, I was not prepared for any, like, penguin turmoil, but it was okay. It had a happy ending. 
As long as it has a happy ending. I feel like other animals, like, have you seen doesthedogdie.com? No. So if you're watching something that has animals in it that are cute or a dog in it, we used to go and check doesthedogdie.com and check, you can type in the title of the thing and it'll tell you whether or not the dog dies without giving too much away. So I feel like this needs to expand into pretty much any animal you get attached to because otherwise, like, <laughs> you, you end up watching the wild the african cats documentary on disney and there's definitely life that happens to these baby cheetahs and you're like nope no i have to turn this off now i can't deal with this so had i been able to see (laughs) had i known that before i got into it i would not have put myself there because that was a traumatizing evening did they name the penguins uh they did they did have all of the penguins were named it was actually really cute they were named based on where they were like living or in their little shelters it was a whole like every family was broken up into their own little segments which was super cute it's narrated by pat oswald it is absolutely precious i loved every single moment of it it was it was super cute i love that pat oswald has a really great voice for narration he does it was really enjoyable to listen to him talk oh speaking of pat oswald i watched ratatouille again recently i love that movie i love that movie so much I will credit that movie for probably introducing a whole generation of people into ways of thinking about food that are different. Yeah, I was going to say it really took an interesting look at French cuisine and made it more palatable for um, people who normally uh, wouldn't have tried such a dish. So, well, we were talking about your Penguin show. Uh, Penguin Town is a documentary on Netflix. This is the late 2019 to early 2020 breeding breeding season. We find ourselves getting really attached to these wonderful penguins and you don't want anything bad to happen. So when life happens and things and Mother Nature happens and things get complicated, your little heart melts and breaks because... These adorable penguins are dealing with really big problems. At one point in time, I thought I was going to have to write a strongly worded email to Patton Oswalt blaming him for my emotional investment in said penguins, but it worked out. So I didn't have to email him. I'm so glad because Patton Oswalt <laughs> didn't write it. So I'm, I'm yeah. great. I'm glad but he, he didn't, didn't narrate him. it. I'm glad but he didn't he did blame him for things he just read out loud. <laughs> He needs to take ownership of it. I think he's a pro- one of the producers too. Maybe not. I could just be making that up. <laughs> he directed it. He wrote it. He produced it. He wrote it. it. He starred in it. It's all that. It's all of it. He's personally responsible of casting every single penguin. So <clears throat> do you want to talk about Black Sails? Yeah. So I want to start this story chronologically, not by release date, because the chronology okay. of this very detailed history matters. <laughs> Yes, so, it does. This is very serious business. Uh, so Black Sails is a four seasons mm-hmm. uh, series that was opened on Stars, released in 2014, went for four seasons, has a star-studded, incredible cast of people from all over the place. Um, the Kobe Stevens. The, Kobe Stevens, the beautiful, the wonderful, the heavily eyebrowed, wonderful Toby Stevens. And Hannah New. Yeah. As Eleanor Guthrie, Luke Arnold as Long John Silver, Jessica Parker, Kennedy as Max, Tom Helper uh, as Billy Bones, Zach McGowan as Charles Vane. I have so many things to talk about him later. Hmm. Okay, so the opening credits for this show are incredible. Uh, Yeah, they are. They're art. Um, And the the music is largely a hurdy-gurdy. 
which I heard about from uh, actually my my long-standing interest in the music of Lorena McKinnett because she features a hurdy-gurdy in many of her songs, especially the some of her most popular ones like the Mummer's Dance, for example. Um, so she has used a hurdy-gurdy for a long time. Um, so it's like a, a bowed stringed instrument that has a crank on one side and it also has buttons like a kind of like an accordion sort of. And so they play this, it gets this drone going as they rotate the, um, the wheel. So they get this wheel going and then they use their fingers to play the strings or if depending on how modern it is, they play a series of buttons. You can go online, there's like these kits you can buy that are all laser cut pieces of wood and you can build your own working hurdy-gurdy from one of those kits. I have definitely looked into it because they're, they're super duper cool. Um, but yeah, there's like a, they can do like, they're three to six strings. They're very, very cool. Some of the strings are just for that drone sound. So cool. it, it makes a very cool sound. And uh, Ren Fair nerds like us will be more acquainted with a hurdy-gurdy, but other folks who are listening may not necessarily know that that really rad sounding instrument is in fact a hurdy-gurdy, which has the silliest name of any instrument I've ever heard. But just uh, check out hurdy-gurdies and hurdy-gurdy music because there are people in the world who specialize in playing them, which is very, very cool as well. It was a good historical note for, for our chronology of uh, Treasure Island. Um, so, which next point, right? This brings us to, this is the prequel to Treasure Island. And it is yes. cleverly threaded together with the history of the Pirate Republic of Nassau. Yeah, it's, it creates its own timeline of events, which is fine. It tries to use timeline, like it tries to use events from history, which is really fun. So like, I like how they sort of threaded some of those recognizable figures from the golden age of piracy. Yeah, they, like Captain mix it like Rackham. Yeah, Jack Rackham's there. Charles Vane is there. Ed Lowe is and there. And Bonnie. And Bonnie's there. Edward Teach is there. Oh, is he there? Although I've been hearing his name pronounced Thatch lately. Really? Blackbeard's last name may have been in fact been Thatch. And so there's um new the more recent documentaries I'm seeing. Uh historians are pronouncing his name Thatch instead of Teach. So that's interesting. So well, Thatch it is. Thatch it is. So um, Teach will be probably referred to as Thatch as we are historians, especially from watching this particular series. Yeah, I know everything about the golden era of piracy. Honestly. Um, it's like, come at me. What do you, what do you got? <laughs> I, I've got it, it all. On. So the golden <laughs> age of piracy is a period we're really referring to. I'm going to get actual dates out because what's up? Uh, so the golden age of piracy, somewhere between the late 1600s to the early to mid 1700s, no later than 1720. And there's a reason why 1720 is the cutoff date. In the Bahamas, Captain Avery, which is spelled either A-V-E-R-Y or E-V-E-R-Y, same person, Henry Avery, a privateer, brought his ship, which has the cutest name of any ship I've ever heard, the Fancy, uh, in to the Bahamas. It's precious. Uh, and Nassau. Nassau. And began to create uh, the Republic of Pirates, which were a bunch of privateers turned pirates that sort of formed their own society that was 
eschewing all kinds of things, including the monarchy. I totally just realized that my cup has <laughs> your cup has a tall strip on it. Incredible. <laughs> on theme forever. <laughs> I was like, wait a minute. And that's just a coincidence because you have so many tall ship themed cups in your house. I do. <laughs> we really like pirates, everyone. That would be an accurate statement. So I, how would you like to sail on a ship called the Fancy? It depends. Tall ships were very scary. Uh, yeah. Tell us a were, little bit about why they were so scary. Uh, I think the show does, one of the things I think the show does a really good job of is depicting what it was like to be on a tall ship. The fact they were tall and not wide. Nope. And that's the reason why they are called tall ships. They are um, tall. Yes. One of the things I think the show does really well at is creating a feel for what it would like to be in such tight quarters with that many people. Just sort of the parameters in which you had to move around in is, I think, really accurately depicted. They did do a really interesting job of creating conflicts that were both character and plot driven and conflicts mm -hmm. that were just because you're on a boat and boats are dangerous. Yeah. So some of the conflicts they had were that were like character driving were not character driven. Like the moment when, I mean, pivotal moment for Long John Silver when the he's trapped below decks during a firefight, during a storm, everything's going crazy. And the person he's trapped down there with drowns and he can't help him because of the way that his, the way that his leg is like, he, he cannot help this man. And he's trying to help this guy and he just can't and he's trapped and he ends up like it's a really hard scene to watch, especially if you have a fear of drowning do not recommend. But part of that is just like the danger of being on a ship, a ship made of wood, a ship that has a lot of breakable stuff on it and with a lot of things that can go wrong. And that wasn't because one character's acting to move the plot along that was just environmental could have happened to anybody happened to him and the trauma from that helped build the rest of his decision making for the rest of the the duration of the story. Yeah, this show does a really good job of complicated characters with really complex motives in general, especially with just Long John Silver and his evolution of growing to be growing into be the Tim Curry that we need him to be later on. <laughs> yeah. And uh, frankly, there's a lot of really great sort of background on Billy Bones. Yeah. You truly, truly begin to hate him by the end of this series. So that when you lead, <laughs> when he leads into where he meets Jim Hawkins and he's sort of the weird old crazy guy, you're like, oh, that's how he got all weird old and crazy. Understood. Gotcha. Which is such a, like, because, oh God, it's like Billy Conley though. Uh, we can talk about him later. We are going to get there. Do We're going to get there. We are going to get to that whole portion. I have such an old man crush on him. <laughs> well, I'm here for Billy Conley. We'll cover that thoroughly. <laughs> That's very important to this entire podcast. My love so, for Billy Conley. <laughs> you're standing Billy Connolly. So we are talking about the Pirate Republic. So we enter the show, starts out, John Silver does some wheeling and dealing to get himself off of a ship and in possession of a map which he doesn't understand exactly the map well he doesn't know the the all the details of the, of the map the yet. details of the map or the implications of it he just knows it's important the urca de lima yes and then he goes to nassau which is 
being sort of quote run by a governor, which is a loosely based term here, who has a daughter who is in a relationship with a woman at the brothel. We love all of this. We love all of these things. Episode one, we're establishing homos. Love it. Into it a lot. The other things that we're also really getting into are they're eschewing the whole notion of this new capitalist system in favor of uh, splitting the entire take of a ship across the crew by each man according to his need, which is awesome and very socialist of them. So we're already seeing pirates sort of cast as these subversive socialist homosexuals and I'm here for all of it which is my favorite so um we see hold on what's up what oh yeah fry delivery I got french fries I'm so sorry you're good no I thought the house was possessed and like I wasn't sure what was happening either no I was like oh my god there's a ghost did I get it I had no idea great okay cool it was just your partner but no it was like (laughs) i was like something spooky is going on behind you get out now (laughs) girl run run girl (laughs) girl, run i can't there's nowhere to go out the window with the squirrels (laughs) and anyway we're in nassau everything's cool um we're starting to see all the systems the pirates are trying to put in privateers are trying to put in place that are Allowing them to sell stolen goods, which is bad. And we see Captain Flint. Yes, we do. Early Captain Flint has hair, huh? Is it yep. later that he shaves his head? Mm, like way later. Like he has a little pony at the beginning. Yeah, right. He has like a, he's got a little. He's got a little like half up, half down situation thing that I like so much. Yeah, he's like just the top of his hair's up, and then it's like sort of down, like circa 1993. Girls named yeah. Kendall did this all the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, here's Kendall hair. Big old scrunchy attached to the back. Yeah, so from the first season, what did you think of Captain, or I'm sorry, what did you think of John Silver season one? Complicated. I have a complicated relationship with John Silver because I know who he grows, what he grows into be. And his relationship, like every relationship he's in is conflict. He's really good at making friends though. And, and enemies. Yeah. <laughs> and assessing what he needs he does a really good job of some, like summing people up really quickly to get them to give him what he needs with like the least amount of provocation, which is kind of a remarkable skill. True. True. I have a feeling like I was being pushed to like the show was urging me to get some sort of admiration or empathy or like identify identify with John Silver in some way. Like I was being pushed to like him and I don't. Not once in the whole show did I like him. I was like, no, neither did that I. That man is a little sociopathic shit and I want him to die. I don't know if I'd go that far. I mean, <laughs> I was like, I know he doesn't because then the rest yeah, of the I mean, island doesn't happen. But I was like, yeah, I dislike, I never once was rooting for him. No, neither was I. Except when he was injured. I was like, okay, you're injured. Your leg's gone. I want you to recover, I suppose. But I want you to be less of a shit. You're never going to be less of a shit. Understood. Yeah. I mean, he's a complicated and complex character and- I think you're supposed to have like mixed feels about him. Definitely have mixed feels about him. But I also think that's a lot of sort of these charm in these like complicated characters though. Because you want to dislike them or you want to like them. Uh, the show does a really good job of making you feel. Whose relationship did you like the most? Jackson and Anne's. You can't take my answer. That's rude. Well, I'm sorry. It was my favorite <laughs> relationship. 
ask and then I argue with your answer. <laughs> you know, I love it. <laughs> Out of it, one, it was the most functional relationship, but two, they saw each other for who they were and or, there was a sense of honesty and camaraderie and loyalty there that was not found in other relationships. I'm a big fan of the uh, Jack, Max, and Anne Thruple. Oh yeah, seriously, that was adorable. It was so cute. I was rooting for them the whole time. Yep, I was like, can you guys just make this Thruple official and do it forever? This is great. Yeah. Just do this. And he like lucked into so much. Jack lucked into so much. He lucked, lucked into running the brothel. Yep. He lucked into being captain. Yep. He also talks his way into a lot of things. Uh -huh. which I think he knows is his skill. Like the thing I love about him is he's intentional that his skill is inspiring people. And so his goal is to inspire people to follow him whenever possible because he knows he's not going to do it by strength of arms because he's a wiry little thing. And then he's also not going to do it by any sort of like, he's not going to intimidate somebody. Like he's not going to vein people into doing things because Charles Vane was so scary in so many ways that people followed him because they were afraid of him. And that was not, and knew other people would be afraid of him. So he knew his power came from this power of persuasion and his ability to appeal to everybody's mutual interest. Yeah, definitely. But I think he brings it to his relationships and appeal to sort of everyone's mutual interests amongst himself and, and um, Max. As soon as Anne and Max essentially assured him that he wasn't being replaced, it was like, oh, okay. You know, Max is not here to supplant me. Max is here and loves this person that I also love. And maybe we can both love this person and maybe this person needs some extra love and that's that's really helpful i wanted to see where they went after the series ended yeah definitely i would have watched an entire other season just about them i would also would have watched a spinoff yeah a spinoff would have been good mm -hmm, mm -hmm, mm -hmm. do you have any moments on the show that were like super cringy i can't watch the keel hall yeah i watched it's it once. really hard to watch i'll never watch it again every time i get to that episode i'm like and fast forward or I don't watch the episode at all and I'll move to the next episode. Yeah. I was thinking more like leather pants on a boat <laughs> sort of situation. Okay, Jesus Vane. <laughs> when Vane comes back to life and breaks out of the ground naked and just like jumps over things all floppy dicked, I was like, no, I can't, I can't do it. <laughs> you guys, this is too much. He's come back from the dead twice. <laughs> you gotta stop with this Charles Vane thing. Although he I love, that, I love the actor who plays him. He was constantly covered in oil. A I feel film, like they oiled him up. Film me. Like, I just wanted to rub it off. Give him a shower. I think that's why no one ever beat him in combat. They just, he was like a soapy baby. He's so oily. Yeah. <laughs> they go to punch him and just squeak. <laughs> Couldn't do it. But yeah, I yeah. just, I mean, fire is a real concern. But like... Watching him bust out of the ground because he was buried alive. I just was like, I can't, you guys, with him. He's dead. He's not dead. Oh, he's dead again. He's not dead. I can't. <sighs> and then he was dead, dead. And then he was very dead. But I needed him to have been dead the first time. He's my biggest cringe factor only because his character is that whole like bad boy you love to hate and hate to love. I don't do that very well. So for me, that that trope does not work well for me. No, me either. Um, and my eyes roll so hard, it actually hurts my head. So when I'm watching shows that have that trope in it, I really struggle. Um, and he was very much that like bad boy ex-boyfriend that Eleanor can't stop going back to. And that bothers me. Because <laughs> she's supposed to be like this woman who's making choices for herself, but inevitably she's being controlled by a man or her feelings for a man. And like Eleanor does not pass the Bechtel test 
at all. And she had this opportunity to do something different and with Max and that whole storyline and chose not to. And so um, I wanted to really like Eleanor and I ended up really, really, truly despising her by the end. Same. Yeah. By the end of the series, I was like, okay, good. We're done with you. Mrs. Woods Rogers, who is also based on a historical person. He actually does have an autobiography you can read. I don't know why you would, but you could. He's the one who shut down the Pirate Republic after it was... It was like this little experiment that went on for 11 years until the British crown was like, no, really stop this. Like they've had their fun. Now it's done. You wanted to vote and split up treasure and not give up taxes to the crown and generally disrupt commerce in the area. And we're just, we're sort of, we're tired of it. So they levied the strength of the British Navy and um, yeah, nixed that whole experiment. So that was fun for everyone. What did you think about the way that they revealed the relationship between Hamilton and Flint. I wish it didn't take them so long to unfurl the sail that they had like set these like inner workings of this like sort of clandestine situation. When it came down to it, I was like, okay, finally, thank you. I'm so glad we know. And it changed how you felt about Flint in very second. And it changes all of his motivations. Yeah, I agree. Because in in a twisted way, he's doing it for love. Yes. And he's doing it to get back to the one he loves. The thing I was, what I liked is that you're trying to figure out why he's doing what he's doing. And you spend so much time thinking it's like this ideological Uh thing he's doing. And you're sort of learning along the way that he has some sort of shame or guilt sitting in the back somewhere. And the way that they managed his grief process as shame Like there was a way that he wanted to do, like the plan that they had for Nassau and sort of getting the Caribbean under control was not the plan that he ended up enacting. Uh But the way that he responded to the British in every situation, or basically every obstacle, it was like that obstacle was taking him away from Thomas. And like he could project all of his rage and sadness and shame onto whoever that was. Lawrence Joppy, who plays Randall, that was a rough moment. Can we talk about the Randall situation? Again, environmental hazards of a boat. Oh, so Outlander. Yeah, he was on Outlander in season three. Apparently, I've not gotten there yet. You will. I know. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam Hewen, who plays Jamie Frazier, also has a whiskey company called Sassanac. And I want their whiskey. Just throwing it out there. Okay, so now I know what to get you for your birthday. Bottle of Sassanac whiskey. Yep, yep. And I'll, I'll have a, I'll have a dram. You'll have a dram of, of Sassanac and, like Jamie did. Mm-hmm. <laughs> ah, 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 oh. <laughs> <laughs> ah, yeah, men consuming women. Yeah, sexy. <laughs> uh, so where were we talking? Charles Vane's tight leather pants. No, leather pants. There's too many leather pants. I have to say there's way too many. Like leather pants are expensive. They are not something that was worn a lot. <laughs> and no matter no matter what, it always sort of felt like Val Kilmer from The Doors. Like in I'm the movie. You. <laughs> Those pants could stand up on their own. Just one <laughs> swampy creature. Like I just can't. The two things. One, leather pants, not really that period. Number two just swamp 
It's just ball sweat swampland. <laughs> Nobody's using talc or baby powder in there. They're just, they're in salt water. They're just <laughs> running around. <laughs> Sweating on the inside, slapping around the like seals. It's They're just, just all bad. Yeah, like where I, where's all the linen? We were promised linen. It's the Bahamas in tri-corner hats. Like, but instead, what, what we got this? a great deal of leather. Which I mean, ordinarily, I'm not going to object to leather. Hello, but like in the in the Bahamas, ugh. Just seems like a whole waste, a whole situation, and nasty. Yeah, I feel like even the parts that are like I would have even bought wool before leather. Just I my sensibilities are offended. Mine were too. Yeah, I was like, okay, first problem. There's a lot of leather pants happening here because also Luke Arnold wears a lot of leather pants. And then there's that season where I think Flint has like Toby Stevens wears this like big leather coat. The coat, yeah. And it's on the whole time. I'm like, it is like a hundred degrees and wet. And you're wearing a big leather coat? And a leather... No, you're not convincing me. Like a giant duster. I'm not buying. Nope. I would... Any person I know that had any sort of experience sailing would have thrown that thing overboard so fast. No. And certainly not on a tall ship. Like, you're wearing leather pants. You sleep two feet away from another man. Six inches above another man. Like, are you kidding me? Ass stink goes... Like, it's it's heavier than normal air. It goes down. (laughs) I thought hot like, air rises. The guy, the guy on the bottom bunk is losing out because wafting out of those leather pants. No one's changing into their PJs. You just sleep in your clothes in a hammock. Like that's not. Ugh. I think being on a hammock on a boat sounds like a great idea until you're on a hammock in a boat and then it's awful. You're like, it'll be great. It'll be sweet. It'll be great. No. No. Mm-mm. That doesn't sound great. No, I think about just like sitting in my office chair for more than four hours in a stint. And then I imagine that for three weeks. And I'm like, I hate everything. No, thank you. Seriously. Though. And then you add salt water to the occasion. And like, that just sounds so gross. No wonder, like, so diseases just tore through tall ships. Close quarters. Everyone's gross. Hygiene's not really a thing anyone knew of or believed in. The idea of germ theory was two centuries away. So there was just nothing for anyone to do. Just be nasty. God was just striking people down. Illness was everywhere. So that was that was a really good thing. They mentioned that in the the Urca de Lima situation because it was on the it was shipwrecked. It was on the beach, and all the soldiers got cholera or the flu or yellow fever. I can't remember which. So it's it's, it's the same. You got Ill. sick. Yeah, they you were got all sick. weak and sick. Yeah, if you got sick and you were like the 1600s, 1700s, like you're going to die. Yeah, so the Pirate Republic, I think, lasted, I have the dates, actually, the Pirate Republic itself, 1706 to about 1718. So 1718, end of the Pirate Republic, 1720, the end of the Golden Age of Piracy. There's really like a very clear cutoff date to when this happened. The pirate code that they talk about in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies is the code that was codified to run the Pirate Republic. It was loose and mostly word of mouth, but it wasn't entirely that. So it was really, really interesting. Uh, That was the whole governing code for the pirate articles. And it was just a code of conduct that all of these sailors and ship captains agreed upon. Producers telling me that some people say the golden age of piracy ended in in the 1730s. So 
The end of the golden age of piracy has to do with an historic event that people disagree on. Wikipedia says somewhere in the 1730s. However, the War of Spanish Succession, a lot of the world changed at the end of the War of Spanish Succession, which I think ended in 1726. So yes, it takes time for all of the ripples of that to like make their way to all the parts of the world. Um, but if you could pinpoint a part of a timeline that really was like the beginning of the end or the, the shifting point, it's really the end of this war of Spanish succession. Uh, because the seas were under a great deal of contention from a bunch of different countries in uh, mostly Western Europe, who were all fighting for colonial imperialistic, quote unquote, rights to places they had no right to. This whole notion of like someone's air or sea space really comes out of this period which parts of the seas are owned by whom and who has jurisdiction there. So we get to the end of this story after the awful keel hauling of Blackbeard, which is not how Blackbeard died. No, it's not. Blackbeard died. Edward Teach died in a pretty, frankly, mundane way. He just died in combat. He was shot. He died. But they keel hauled him, which was the awful practice of dragging someone along the hull of a ship so that they get torn to pieces by all the barnacles. It's barbaric. They show it in... Like props to the practical effects people because they did an excellent job creating this piece that bleeds and looks like it's breathing and does all the things that a body that is that tortured would do. So it looked very realistic. So props to them. That was well done. Um, it looked expensive and it turned me off that episode forever. So job well done. <laughs> That's a special effects uh, success. So I will never watch that episode again. Even if I'm watching the show with someone who's never seen it, I'd be like, you can watch this episode by yourself. I'm gonna go, bye. So we get to the end of this thing and we close out Captain Flint's story in a way that's fairly delightful. Uh-huh. Billy Bones is on the run uh, and has disappeared with the map. And Silver is purportedly after Billy Bones, which takes us to the beginning of the story of Treasure Island, where Billy Bones has wandered away and has hidden in a small village and encounters a boy by the name of Jim Hawkins and also Gonzo and Rizzo the Rat. Yes. The one more thing, I will say one more thing about Black Sails is... Yeah, please do. I wholeheartedly believe after going through this, after following John Silver's story, that he could have totally grown up and been uh, Long John Silver, as we know him, as we know him in the, in the, um, in the, uh, in the book. The only part that I don't like, or that did not match up for me, was the amount of vitriol he has for Captain Flint in Treasure Island doesn't seem to match the space that he and Flint left their relationship, but could be ostensibly done for show for the sake of others rather than for their private relationship. Yeah. So, uh, which I guess could be why it's so sort of exaggerated and wildly theatrical, but his sociopathy is very consistent. I agree. So we open in, did it tell us where they're sailing from in the beginning of Muppet Treasure Island. I don't, I didn't remember. There I don't being think a so. Location. No, I don't think it's important. I think what's important is that there's British people living there. Jim Hawkins, Rizzo the Rat and Gonzo work at a tavern that is owned by the beautiful Jennifer Saunders. 
Yes. The Muppet Treasure Island um, was released February 16, 1996, and it followed the success of the Muppets Christmas Carol. It's based on the Robert Louis Stevens classic novel from 1883. Stars Tim Curry as Long John Silver and Kevin. Bishop as Jim Hawkins. Jennifer Saunders as Miss Bullridge. Um, Billy Conley as Billy Bones. Kermit the Frog as Captain Abraham Solent. Fozzie the Bear as Squire Thurway. Trelawney. Trelawney. All of a sudden, I'm like, my mouth does not want to work, and I have to work. <laughs> <laughs> Me every day. Uh, Dr. Bunsen Honeydew as Dr. David Lindsay. Miss Piggy as Benjamin Gunn. Sam the Eagle as Mr. Arrow. And so Tim Curry plays Long John Silver. And has said before in interviews that this was one of his favorite roles because he was a huge fan of the Muppets before he got to do this role, which I just think is the most delightful thing I've ever heard because this is one of my favorite things he's done. It's not my first Tim Curry experience, but it's definitely one of my favorite Tim Curry experiences. Um, We begin with a really fun song that I listen to in my car all the time. Yes. Which I love the opening credits song. It's great. And And you see this really wonderful Muppet-filled introduction to the story of burying the treasure, which I think is just great. Uh, And then you see, so Billy Bones is in this tavern. He's drunk and says he has the horrors, which is PTSD. And he's shouting about Flint and his first mate and his crew and burying this treasure. And then he kills the whole crew and it's Billy Bones barely escaped with his life which we know from watching Black Sails, our historical document, is uh, that that's not actually the way it happened. And Billy Bones is a big fat liar. Yeah. Who is and played by? Billy Connolly. Can you tell us a little bit more about your love for Billy Connolly, please? Um, I love Billy Connolly. Um, I think that's all we need to discuss about it. He's amazing. And I love him in like everything. He's your old he man crush. Like, he is my old man crush, yeah. I love it. I think I fell in love with him like the first Boondock Saints movie. I who didn't? Yeah, he's incredible in that film. Absolutely. Yeah, he didn't say anything like <laughs> the whole movie, but it's fantastic. <laughs> Does he have any lines at all? Hardly. Hardly. He Hardly just any. looks at people really scary. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I remember being like, "Oh, okay, he could look at me scary." Yeah. Um. So, <clears throat> Sir Billy Connolly, the knight. Uh, he also is he's, the, he's the first one who is right. You, who wouldn't knight him? I would knight him. I, I would knight I him would, so hard. I would knight him so hard too. <laughs> the um, so he took he, he he's the first person to die in a Muppet movie. Is the the first time there was a death in a Muppet movie was was Billy Bones and Billy Con- Sir Billy Connolly apparently took great pride in that. Which I mean, bravo. So he has like this episode in a bed where he yells and he grabs onto Gonzo's nose and calls him Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jim. And it's the funniest thing I've ever heard. Like up to that point, I had never heard something so funny in my whole life. So now every time someone says the name Jim, I hear Billy Connolly in my head going, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jim. And I lose it. So I can't know anyone named James. Your Billy Connolly impression is pretty good. It's better when i'm sick so that's helpful okay yeah it's my cold voice i'll do smelly cat later 
Oh my God. Yes. <laughs> my sexy voice. So my uh, sexy phlegm, that's what it is. Yeah. So he grabs Gonzo's nose and Gonzo's like, what? I'm not Jimmy, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jim. That's Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jimmy, Jim, Jim, Jim. And so then he grabs Jim and he tells him that uh, he has to be careful of a one-legged, a one-legged man. man. And then he just shrieks into the void and dies with his mouth open. And like, of the deaths, <laughs> the deaths to have in a Muppet film, it's pretty intense. Yeah, it's fine. He, he warns fine. him not to run with scissors too, which I thought was very keen in that moment. It's all fun and games until someone loses a, and then he shrieks, ah! and then just down he goes. And that's it. And he just lays back with his, with his mouth open and then Rizzo realizes he's dead um, that he he's dead and they're standing in the room of the dead guy so that was his impression of a stroke with <laughs> with none of the symptoms of a stroke in fact which is great I know all the symptoms of a stroke because of watching Grey's Anatomy so doctor it's cool my my professional medical advice that I don't have do not take any of this as medical advice so we were yeah <clears throat> that's where we're at so he dies. And then Muppets attack. What did you think? Who is your favorite pirate Muppet in the evil pirate Muppet crew? Oh, it's hard because Tim Curry is so amazing in the movie. Yeah, but we're not talking and about human beings. We're talking about I Muppets. know. I know. What who's on the who's on the the evil pirate crew that you like? What about old Tom? Or real old Tom? Or oh Tom? yeah. Dead Tom's good. <laughs> Just lift his arm. <laughs> Uh, I'm a big fan yeah, of Sweetums. Sweetums. You kidding? I love you guys. It's great. The guy who plays Blind Pew is really great. I know that filthy mug of yours or that scary mug of yours anywhere. And he's grabbing onto a taxidermy moose head that is actually also alive and is like making distress noises. Which, which is good. That was a weird moment. I was like, that that was a very odd choice, Muppets, to make the taxidermied moose head also be an alive moose head. That's haunting. We also love the big fat bug face baby eating O'Brien. Yes. Who is actually played by what is her name? She's really cute. Uh she's listed too. Okay, so I found her. It's Jessica Hamilton. Cool. Great. I just got her picture. So she's a model. So she like steps forward and then she says in a like deep voice, like, all right. And I think that's, that was also like, there's just every minute there's something punchy happening the whole time. Yeah. And then the, the masthead for the ship is actually. Sattler and Sp- Walder. Yeah. Sattler and Walder who are making jokes about the show. See the world. They said, now I'm stuck on the front of this stupid ship. Could be worse. You could be stuck in the audience. like they do their their bit and it's such a good bit every time yeah no they're my favorites i love them so much i like when they are unsure of who to root for because everything's getting all mixed up too when when even they are admitting to being confused that's yeah they're drawing attention to the fact that this is a fairly convoluted story to be telling to children which is pretty hilarious frankly what did you think of miss piggy's character benjamina gunn which is just oh. about the coolest name for a character ever. I love Miss Piggy. Everything about Miss Piggy I love. She was my favorite Muppet baby. So <laughs> about the Muppet babies. So pretty much everything she does is amazing to me. Um, it's such a fun character. And she's so fun. And everything about her is fun. 
I mean, I know that sounds like just kind of like bland answer, but I just love her so. And my love for her is pure and wholesome. I love that. I love everything about that. So there are, there's a couple of really interesting, fun things about uh, how they did the characters. So Squire Trelawney is who ends up financing the voyage. And Squire Trelawney's half-witted son is played by Fozzie Bear and Mr. Bimble. And Mr. Bimble comes up with every plan that works, who is the man who lives in the bear's finger. Uh, And that I think is really, really delightful. So there's this whole process where Long John Silver comes into the captain's cabin to offer them uh, my own very best brandy laid down by the brothers of Buckfast Abbey. And he offers them this brandy and they're like, this is great. And uh, when they were like pouring it and then the captain kept being like, no, we don't drink on this voyage. And they kept throwing it out the window. Um, So two things, uh, Buckfast tonic wine, US audiences wouldn't know what this is and maybe some UK audiences would. Um, So Buckfast caffeinated fortified wine sold in UK and the British Isles. So rather than being like a really fancy beverage, this is actually just a really high alcohol content, cheap booze that you drink when you just want to get fucked up. And so Long John Silver is essentially just trying to fuck all them up so that he can figure out where this map is and steal it. And it takes him, you know, as he's watching it get chucked out the window, the only reference to the amount of alcohol in it is when the rats who are on a cruise ask him to cut it out with the booze because it's peeling the paint off the shuffleboard court, which is... (laughs) (laughs) hilarious and no child will understand what's happening but every adult is like oh my lord it was so good the whole like concurrent rat cruise was such a good layered nuanced joke to be making about tall ships because of how many rats just like vacationed on these boats it was so good so good frank oz was not about mr bimble really Yeah, originally he was not super into Mr. Bimble, but then by the end of filming, he decided it was one of his favorite ongoing jokes from the film. So it's a great bit. It really is. (laughs) Yeah, that's, nope. Yeah, your finger, what, your finger hired the crew? No, that would be silly. The man who lives in my finger hired this crew. (laughs) It's just like, he's the reason everything happens is Mr. Bimble. And also that Fozzie Bear calls the ocean the big blue wet thing and doesn't know what the ocean is called when they call it the ocean. And they're like, oh, you mean the big blue wet thing? Oh, the big blue wet thing, of course. (laughs) (laughs) That was also a really good Fozzie Bear. Thank you. Thank you. He's one of my favorites. Um, my favorite Muppet is by far Gonzo. Gonzo. Because he's a whatever and I'm a whatever and we're both whatevers and it's fine. You're a boy, you're a rat and you're a whatever. Yep. Basically every time somebody asks me my gender identity, it's a whatever. I love it. I'm trying to think, do I have a favorite? Oh, I do have a favorite mon- Muppet. Who's your favorite Muppet? Animal. Oh, yes. The whole band plays. My, yep. I love that the band is playing on the beach when the pirates have just like taken off the ship, but the band has set up their whole band on like this little rock outcropping so they can play music for everybody. I I just thought that was great. (laughs) Politics. (laughs) So funny. Uh, And they ask like, the band is like, who are we rooting for? He's like, I don't know, man. (laughs) 
I don't play politics. I just play the gig. And then Animal goes, politics. Animals is the business, man. He's great. Uh, they also featured the Swedish chef who is going to cook Rizzo the rat and Gonzo the great. But first he's, he has a cute little boopy-doopy-doo about, um, and he makes like a little mouse out of vegetables to like look like Rizzo the rat before he chops it. It's very like jovially terrifying, which I always appreciate. The songs in this movie are delightful. What's your favorite song? I don't know if I have a favorite song. They're all good. Yeah, I don't know if I could. I don't know if I could pick just one. The uh, the song that you mentioned at the beginning um, that you drive to work to in your yes, car. That's the opening credit song. Yeah, the opening credit song is probably my fave. I yep, that one or Professional Pirate. Professional Pirate was really truly wonderful. Yes, and it's super fun to hear Jim Carrey sing. So, yeah, especially when they're one of the verses. Clueless Morgan ends it with, "Because uh, when you're a professional pirate, you don't have to wear a suit." I thought that was just like really wonderfully modern and I, it was a good note. Yeah. But I guess you have to wear leather pants in the Caribbean, which. No, it's, it's, there's a whole sign up list. It's a whole, like, before you start your first day of school, you need to have all of these supplies and. Uh, <laughs> leather pants is on leather the list. pants is on that list. Too much leather clothing. You get to pick which pieces. Hint, the correct answer is pants. <laughs> I'm gonna forever and always buy you leather pants now for every single like reason to buy you a gift. Oh no, I'm gonna have so many leather pants. <laughs> oh my god. That's gonna be so good. We're gonna bring him back the 90s hard. <laughs> they're gonna be pleather. <laughs> yeah, they're gonna be pleather. Are you gonna get me a bunch of those little elastic lace chokers too? Yep. <laughs> so I can go like full the craft. Yep. <laughs> We are the weirdos, mister. Yes. Just get me that um, leather tube top that Elijah Dushku wears in Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Seriously, yeah. <laughs> she just seems to never do it. I will say that the depiction of indigenous people on the Caribbean islands is uh, very insulting. So cringy, yeah. cringy 90s. So sorry, uh, Jim Henson, y'all failed on that one. Having them be entirely the pigs is a little bit upsetting, but also the way that they make fun of language and things um, and their fear of modern weaponry is is very offensive and does not hold up. So that's that. I have two favorite comedy moments. One, when they're sitting in the barrel because they go to hide there and Gonza's sitting in there and he just looks at Rizzo and he says I have starfish in my pants and Rizzo looks at him and he just widens his eyes for a second that moment makes me laugh out loud every time I see it uh and <laughs> Rizzo says something like you and your hobbies but there's like this weird implication immediately that he's doing something strange with what's inside his pants so <laughs> that was always a little bit like huh Gonzo's exploring some weird things and then the moment where they put Gonzo on the rack and they stretch it. Oh, yes. Oh, and my then God. Beaker, yes. Beaker's on the ship's deck, and Gonzo has these long, noodly arms and legs, and he's going boogly, 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 boogly. And he's just basically harassing Beaker for a second. That like two seconds of the film is worth the entire film for me. Like, I will watch the <laughs> whole movie for a chance to watch that two second joke um, before he, yeah, before he says, like, yeah, I can play for the NBA. I'm so tall. And then they reset him by 
making him into essentially a lampshade and then cutting the tension cord so that he goes flapping up like a lampshade, which is one of Dr. Bunsen's situations, the window shade cure, snip, snip. And then he snips and it goes. Uh, that I thought was one of the funniest, one, the funniest solution to a weird problem. Um, two, the whole process of Gonzo being stretched on the rack and they think it's hurting him and he likes it. And that really bothers them, reminded me of my entire <laughs> response to bullying as a child. And then uh, his starfish in his pants easily lock him in as my favorite Muppet, if not in this, if not forever, then in this film particularly. Yeah, no, Gonzo, he, he really is a scene stealer and he gets so many good lines. He hits it every time for me. Yeah. Just every time. His, his, uh, the way that they do his physical acting too. Um, because he has this really great intense moments where people look at him like he's being weird and he just widens his eyes at them, like hard eye contact, daring them to say something about it, which I think is just the funniest response to just about anything. They're like, wow, you're weird. And he just like opens his eyes real wide. And I think the co- that's endlessly good comedy for physical comedy. And the fact that it's a Muppet doing it is just delightful forever yeah so the, the one thing i, I do watch that movie yeah actually i was thinking the same thing i might have to do that later yeah. tonight but um the one other thing i love about the muppets is like how nuanced and subtle some of their gestures are and yeah how 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 before you can before you realize what's happening you're sucked into this world you're like i'm mesmerized by felt <laughs> I'm mesmerized by felt. <laughs> I want that on a t-shirt that has Muppets on it. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. I'm mesmerized by felt. And I've just, like, by the time you're 20 minutes into this film, you're like, I have just wholesale accepted that a rat Everything and a whatever are helping this boy achieve his destiny. Yeah, you're like, this is completely natural. This is completely yeah. normal. I mean, I think it's that way with all of the Muppet movies. I know it was definitely that way for the Christmas Carol with me. I'm like, yeah, no, yeah. Mm-hmm. this is just how this happens. Yeah, I've, I've bought it. I'm in. Even when they're going through the crew and it's getting sillier and sillier, I'm still on board. I've still, like, I've purchased, I've paid, I'm in. I'm invested the whole way. Yeah, you're like, this is just how this works. I'm like, yeah, real old Tom yeah dead tom and then at some point they're like dead tom's dead and he's crying and he's like yeah dead tom's always been dead that's why we call him dead tom and there's like a moment of self-consciousness about the fact that there's just like that's just silly what do you what and it's great uh i love those moments um can we talk about the just the extravaganza that is cabin fever yes because we have in black sails we have the becalmed scenes which lead to shark date Ooh, ha ha and then we also have the becalmed scene in Treasure Island, which is the doldrums, the becalmed, the cabin fever song. So we have two very different ways of dealing with the madness brought on by the doldrums. <clears throat> what did you think of each of them? Well, I mean, obviously the Muppet one is silly and fun and the business, but Black Sails does a really good job of creating a desperate situation. Yeah. I think it's a really keen bonding moment for Flint and Silver. Yeah. 
and they have they're forced to work together yes i call it shark date because the people who ship them also call it shark date because they go on a date to get a dead uh they go to try and retrieve something edible from a floating whale carcass and there's sharks all around them and then they kill a freaking shark together and that's what they end up feeding the crew and it's like this huge success experience for both of them that leads them both to gaining um one, it probably saves their lives, but it also gains them a lot of cred with the crew, if you will, um, and, the, and and mutual mm-hmm. respect with each other, because killing a shark in a boat with, with nary a, a tool is certainly a task. I felt bad for the shark for a minute, but it was not featured on Did the Dog Die, so, because they don't talk about sharks on doesthedogdie.com, and they should, but they don't, but... Yeah, Shark Date was a good episode. I totally watched the Eli Roth movie Finn. <laughs> Did you? Yeah, like it was Whoa. intense. It was like Blackfish oh, intense. No. Definitely is going to change like the way I look at things and how I consume, I guess is the best way. I like when things challenge our conceptions about how we consume and, and challenge us to be better mm-hmm. about and more mindful about how we consume. That's very cool. Yeah. Um, Black Sails did not do that for me. Oh, really? But uh, Muppet Treasure Island did because I noticed in Muppet Treasure Island that despite the fact that he brings this highly alcoholic beverage to people on the ship, there's no drinking anywhere in the entire movie. So for all the rum-loving pirates in the world, they managed to keep drinking, tobacco use, and swearing off the table, which, God bless you Muppets, they couldn't keep death off the table though. They did did, um, deliver Black Spot. The rats talk about having margaritas but they aren't actually ever really drinking them but they do talk like they do show them sort of like in this after party like there's rats who are sort of at the bar and there's rats who are over like sort of in that confessing your love for someone that you're like are they drunk they might be drunk the luau party thing and like the rats are also jet like water skiing and playing shuffleboard and there's always like a dude rat who's got like three lady rats around him which i think is really funny like the rats are not sort of monogamously paired off (laughs) like they're just rats on vacation so uh they're doing their thing they're rats gone wild they're the ones who retrieve the treasure at the end because the treasure goes down with long Mm -hmm. john silver's boat and then the rats are down there in their scuba gear bringing it up which I thought was also pretty keen because uh, Long John Silver takes off in a boat uh, and he had sent Sam the Eagle off to check the safety of each of the lifeboats, of the longboats. And uh, Sam the Eagle goes, sir, one of the longboats is gone. And I can tell you it was very unsafe. And then we see Long John Silver struggling to bail water out and get back to the island that he was marooned on. And the treasure sinks. The relationship between Jim Hawkins and Long John Silver is probably my favorite thing because of the, the nature of the character of Long John Silver and the fact that, like, this kid has made such an impact on him that, like, he, when it comes down to, like, hurting him, he I, can't. I also thought it was interesting that Long John Silver drew the line at hurting a child. Yeah. And especially with, like, the Muppets and it's fun and it's great, but, like, it's still a very impactful moment for me. And that is where our story ends. 
Yeah, I think, and then it ends with like a Bob Marley song or something, doesn't it? The song is called Love Power. It was written by Barry Mann and Cynthia Wheel. Oh, cool. Um, performed by Ziggy Marley and the Melody That's, Makers. it's Ziggy Marley, it's not Bob Marley. Okay, cool, cool, cool. That's, yeah, Love Power is the song. Wrong Marley. Different Marley. Reggae. Very good. I like that they did end it with Island um, Island original music. That was cool because they're from Jamaica. I think the credits are playing. Rats are pulling treasure up and water skiing, and it's a very like it's a very silly happy time, which is the way that all pirate movies should end. Yeah, and it's a, the exact way it ended. It yeah, because then they're gonna go off to Zanzibar to meet the Zanzibarians. Mm -hmm. That's a direct quote from Gonzo the Great. So I think yeah, that's that's how the book ended, right? With rats pulling treasure up off the bottom of the ocean while jet skiing. Yeah, that's exactly jet skiing how it and ended. Listening to Bob Marley. Yeah, historically, yep. I know that that's how the story ended. So 1883, that's what happened. I'm aware that that was probably gotten from eyewitness testimony that Robert Louis Stevenson gathered. He was there. Uh, he did do a lot of talking to people in jails and people on boats and things in his lifetime. Like he's a really interesting author because he did spend a great deal of time talking to old sailors who talked about privateering and um, that sort of era of piracy. So he did a lot of research for many of his pirate themed adventures. I love it. So like Robert Louis Stevenson took one of most of his influences from a book called General History of the Pirates, which was written by Captain Charles Johnson, which is a pseudonym. And it's a like prime source of biographies of many, many, many of the well-known pirates that we all know. Oh, very cool. So yeah, there's, there's a whole lot of things. It contains the name of the pirate flag and it shows a lot of the like designs of the flags and things. So it sold really, really well that, and it sort of created our, our like modern concept of how we think about the pirates. Um, and like J.M. Mm -hmm. Barry used it when writing Captain Hook. Robert Louis Stevenson wrote um, a lot of his pieces when he talks about sailing and things in those years, he really used this as a lot of his uh, influence. I love it. I think that I was uh, that was our very chronological telling of the very historical events surrounding the story known as Treasure Island, yeah. as told and interpreted through Black Sails, the series, and Muppet Treasure Island. So that about does it for this episode of I Watch A Lot Of. Like, follow, subscribe, Visit us on Instagram at I Watch A Lot of Podcasts. Check our website out at iwatchalotta.com. I watch a lot of.com. Not a lot of. Yeah. A lot of. I watch a lot of. You can find us on all the major podcast platforms. So you can find us on Podbean, on Stitcher, on Apple Podcasts, Amazon, Spotify, Google Play, Spotify. Get all of them. Get, you know, get in there, download, rate, review. Listen as much as you want. Preplay episodes. We won't judge you. Listen all you want. Uh, no one's going to judge you if you download it twice. Just saying you can download as many times as you want. Also, email us and let us know what you're watching. And if there are topics you want us to discuss, we would love to know what you're watching. Oh, yeah. We're of. super into recommendations. So let us know what you're watching a lot of. We'll see you next. We won't see you. You'll hear us next time. Thanks so much. <laughs> Bye. Bye.